0: Hey guys, so I know that I've been seeing recently our social media feeds slowly getting back to normal. Not as much people are protesting or educating or being there as they were um, the week prior. And I just want to remind you that this whole movement is a reflection of what we're not going to tolerate and one week of protesting of educating of speaking up isn't going to fix in a snap over 400 years of abuse we already point out that the system is broken But now we need to change the system, not just the police. The whole system needs a rebirth. So I know you're weary. I'm weary too. Exhausted even. You know, haven't been sleeping right. (laughs) I had to force myself to get up and read And I realized that I needed an escape and that's what books are to me, my escape, my sense of fresh air. And I want to give you that sense of fresh air through these entry titled episodes. So every entry, we're not going to talk about what's going on out there. This is the cool down spot a fresh of breath air, something to keep you going. Because like my friend said, you can't pour from an empty cup. You cannot give onto others what you cannot give yourself. So let's cool down today to fight tomorrow. Take care of yourselves, guys. And welcome to the cool down spot. some TLC to the books that were written by Black and POC authors, creating a space that is for us, by us. This is the audiobook club that you don't want to miss. So grab your tea, cop a seat, and join the conversation on The Concrete Diaries with me, Carlisa Simone. Hey y'all, so I have a trivia question for you, and we all know this is Pride Month, so the topic at hand is Pride History um, of the LGBTQIA plus community. So for today's question, it is actually a two-parter because I don't want to make it too, 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 too easy. So... The first part is who was the first transgender woman to win an Emmy as an executive producer for blank blank presents the T word, a documentary it aired on MTV. That's an a hint that it aired on MTV Um, again for the first part, who was the first Transgender woman to win an Emmy as an executive producer for Blink Blink Presents, the T word, a documentary. Here comes the hint. It aired on MTV. And here's the second part of the question is what year was this person awarded? What year? So, what year? And who was it? So coming up in July, I wanted to open up the platform for everybody again. And this is an idea that I came up with is why not host an open mic? so this open mic will be recorded and put on the show so if you want to come on the show say what you want to say have that space to have your thoughts and art shared please 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 sign up more information is coming up on the website so look out for that and we will be posting it on eventbrite sign up is easy Um, I'm going to create a form for y'all to fill out so we can just, you know, keep aware of how much people are coming on the show. So definitely sign up. We want to hear from you. We want people to hear your voice. Okay. So look out for that called bloomers or let's say bloom. Yeah. Bloom open mic. Definitely, so look out for that. Okay, y'all already know what time it is it is for the worms segment. So, for this week's pick, we got do, 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 do. this is kind of an epic love story by Kason Callender. Um, disregard any former name, they go or went by um their new name is Kaysen Calendar. pronouns they them or sometimes he him please respect that thank you so Kaysen Calendar was born and raised in St. Thomas of the U.S. Virgin Islands whoop 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 love a Caribbean person Case and Calendar is the award-winning author of the middle grade novels Hurricane Child and King and the Dragonflies. The young adult novels, this is kind of an epic love story, which we're reviewing today, and Felix Ever After, and the adult novel Queen of the Conquered, which is definitely on or in my library to read next. Kaysen was previously an associate editor of Little Brown Books for Young Readers, an imprint of Hatchet Book Group, where they acquired and edited novels, including Tyler Johnson Was Here by Jay Coles, which is also in our library, the New York Times bestseller Interment by Samira Hamed, and the Stonewall Honor Award winning novel Ivy. A Burndy's Letter to the World by Ashley Herring Blake. So that is Case in Calendar. I just want to repeat their books. So middle grade level is Hurricane Child and King and the Dragonflies. Young adult level is this kind of an epic love story. And Felix ever after and the adult level is Queen of the Conquered I love how they literally gave you a book no matter which level you're at so anybody can read their books definitely definitely support like I said Queen of the Conquered is in my library so I definitely want to read that book next um yeah let's move on this is kind of an epic love story by Kayson calendar is a fresh charming rom-com perfect for fans of simon versus the homo sapiens agenda and boy meets boy about nathan bird who has sworn off happy endings, but is sorely tested when his former best friend, Ollie, moves back to town. Nathan Bird doesn't believe in happy endings. Although he's the ultimate film buff and an inspiring screenwriter, Nate's seen the demise of too many relationships to believe that happy endings exist in real life. Playing it safe to avoid a broken heart has been his M.O. ever since his father died and left his mom to unravel. But this strategy is not without fault. His best friend turned girlfriend turned best friend again, Florence, is set on making sure Nate finds someone else. And in a twist that is rom-com worthy, someone does come along. Oliver James Hernandez, his childhood best friend. After a painful mix-up when they were little, Nate finally has the chance to tell Ollie the truth about his feelings. But can Nate find the courage to pursue his own happily ever after? This is an epic love story by Kacen Calendar. And if you want to support them, definitely follow them on Twitter. Love. (laughs) Like I said, Twitter is a good place to die, but... I love the quirky and the salty and the shade from their posts. So definitely follow them there. You won't be disappointed. This is dedicated for Q POCs everywhere. Chapter 1 Riding a bike in the rain with a broken arm is never a good idea. But I'm the kind of guy who likes to make life more difficult. So that's exactly what I do. The rain makes the rubbery brown handles slippery and it's hard to hold on one-handed. So I end up slowly weaving down the road, wheels jerking back and forth, stopping whenever a car splashes by. The coffee shop on the corner is one of the many anti-Starbucks bistro spots that cropped up around Seattle. The inside is a standard hipster cafe, random Victorian objects hanging on wood-paneled walls, vegan gluten-free cookies on display, Polaroids hung up around the blackboard menu, probably taken with the old-school camera at the register. Some guy is inspecting the camera now, turning it over and over in his hands, and staring at the lens like he wants everyone to know that he's super into photography, which I sort of want to judge him for, but I realize judging him is kind of mean and unnecessary, so I stand next to him at the register and pretend I'm not embarrassed to be a 16-year-old guy ordering a hot cocoa. The barista is a cute girl with pale skin and short black hair. She keeps glancing at me and looking away with red cheeks. I should do something. Axe her out? Tell her she looks nice? Wait, is that catcalling? Even if it's inside a hipster cafe and not on the street? Fucking shit. I'm a catcalling bastard. She probably doesn't even want to talk to me just wants to make a goddamn hot cocoa, and here I come strolling in and thinking I'm the shit just because a girl smiles at me. Nate, she calls, thumping the hot cocoa on the counter. I stumble up to the counter, mutter thanks, as I reach for the container, but I'm still not used to my arm being in a cast, so I knock the hot chocolate over. It falls, rolls across the counter, and tumbles to the ground. Delicious cocoa and still-melting marshmallows burst on the floor. Everyone turns to look at me. conversations stop. The cute barista raises an eyebrow. Please kill me now. The barista, her name tag, says Kim, gives me a pity smile. I'll make you another one, she says with a shrug. I force a laugh, but it sounds more like a cough. Uh, that's really nice, thanks. Conversations start up again, people glancing over. I try to act cool, bend over with a handful of those thin square napkins to clean up the mess. But the napkins get soggy. And start to fall apart instantly. Someone else bends over with more of them bunched up in his hand. It's the guy who was fiddling with the camera, which makes me feel like an asshole for judging him. When he's clearly a nice person. He's got brown hair tumbling into his face. Brown eyes that shine with the kindness of a thousand nuns. The kind of dimples that'll make even a cold-hearted soul want to pinch his cheeks. I would know, because that's kind of what I want to do. He smiles at me as he sops up the mess. Thanks, I tell him. He shakes his head, looks away, still smiling. Not a big deal. I keep glancing up at him. I can't place it, but he's really familiar. I feel like I've seen him in a TV commercial, or a movie, or on a poster for ridiculously adorable guys, or he gets up and tosses his napkins in the trash. I thank him again, but he ignores me as he walks out. The bell on the door ringing as it shuts behind him. I pick up my second hot chocolate, staring after him. It's only when I'm unlocking my rusted blue bike outside, fumbling with the combination that it hits me. I know exactly who he is. Oliver James Hernandez. Holy fucking shit. The rain is more like a mist. It slicks the leaves and green covering the bark of trees and shines on the granite road so that it looks like black glass. When I finally get to Florence's, I'm soaked. Flo opens the door, takes one look at me, and bursts out laughing. What happened to you? Why are you so wet? I stare at her blankly. It's raining. She glances past me. Eh, it's more like mist. I abandon the bicycle on her doorstep and step inside. Kicking off my sneakers, holding out the hot cocoa for her, hoping to God her dad isn't here. Because Florence's dad has never liked me very much. Toby McGuire, her black, josh wiggles over and licks my foot before he starts humping it. Really? That's all the foreplay I get? Toby! Florence picks him up. I swear to God, Toby, I'm going to cut off your balls. I wince. Don't cut off his balls. Florence grins at me, sympathy pains. It's not funny. It's a little funny. No, no, it really isn't. She carries Toby up the stairs, cradling him like a baby, chugging the hot chocolate like it's iced tea. The TV is off, and I don't hear any voices from the living room, so I can safely say that Florence and I are alone in the house. The thought makes me think things I probably shouldn't. Not anymore, anyway. We get into her room, which smells like baby powder, and she closes the door behind me, Hopping and bouncing onto her flowery bed, Ethel, her evil cat from hell, is curled up on one of the lacy pillows, blinking at me slowly. There's clumps of dirty clothes around the floor, and Flo's desk has this year's new textbook stacked up and a worn copy of Neil Gaiman comic open like a tent. Her laptop, screen dusty and smeared, streams the bon- Ivor, Pandora Station. I almost tell her about the cafe, about seeing who was either Oliver James for the first time in five years or his equally attractive doppelganger. But I don't even know where to start. How do I begin to explain Oliver James Hernandez? Flo doesn't notice my silent struggle, but I can't blame her because I'm pretty good at hiding inner turmoil when I want to. She pats the side of the bed with a come-hither look on her face, ink pen between her fingers. I sit down and hold my arm out, and she begins to draw. The design on my cast is made up of characters from my favorite films. Buttercup and Wesley gazes into each other's eyes, Olive Hoover with her arms spread wide, Joel Barish lying down beside Clementine Crucifski. Juno and Polly singing to each other on the front steps. Florence sticks out the tip of her tongue in concentration. I have to look away or I'll end up remembering the days when her dad was at home and I'd come over and that tongue would be soft and wet against mine. And we'll make Toby McGuire proud with our best dry humping techniques. Legs and hands and mouths all tangled together in a pile of horniness. And then, before we could hit the place of no return, I always stopped. Said that we should wait. Florence joked in the most serious kind of way that I was the only guy she knew that would ever willingly not have sex. Florence is black and Taiwanese and has brown skin, almost as dark as mine. With twists, she dyed a dark purple. They're tied into a bun on top of her head, some twists falling down around her ears and into her face, which she swipes away impatiently. She isn't wearing a bra, only has a thin white t-shirt, so I can pretty much see an outline of what's beneath if I look, but I try not to. I really do. Lydia's being an ass, Florence says. She glances at me over the rim of her glasses and I look up at her with an expression of innocence, as if I wasn't trying to stare at her breast like the creeper I am. It's like she's purposely picking fights with me now. Oh? I'm not really sure if this is the sort of thing Flo and I should be talking about. She glances up from my cast like she's read my mind. You know, it's okay if you don't want to talk about her. I mean, I get it. I don't want to talk about Lydia. But Flo's also my friend. And friends talk to friends about their love's life. Right? No, uh, it's okay. Do you want to break up with her? No. Does that make me pathetic? Why would that make you pathetic? Because I'm chasing after someone who's treating me like shit. That doesn't make you pathetic. That makes you just like everyone else, human. She sighs and leans in closer to my arm, her shirt gaping open so that I can actually can see what's going on beneath. Christ, I close my eyes. I don't know, she says, Maybe she isn't really being an ass. Maybe I'm overreacting. I mean, she's stressing out because of her parents and everything. She's getting all this pressure to get into RISD. I should just be supportive. She's always supportive of me when I'm going through shit. I feel a pinch of jealousy that I try to ignore. It isn't fair to Florence. Thinking these things, feeling this way, a few months back, we agreed we weren't good together as a couple. I was getting too codependent, too clingy and self-conscious. Flo was pushing me away, started hanging out with Lydia more, until one night she came over, saying that they'd made out, crying because she felt like shit about it, telling me she didn't want us to date anymore. You're right, I told her. I think we should just go back to being friends, too. I knew it was a lie then. I know it's a lie now. Florence scratches away at my cast with her pen and falls into silence. That lets me know that she's in the zone. I try to hold extra still. Jose Gonzalez streams from her laptop. The bed shifts and I look at her just as she drops her hand. She smiles. It's done. I try to twist my arm around, but there's a stab of pain that makes my fingers tingle. Florence grabs her phone, turns it to self-view on her camera for me. There's Tina tied up to her pole. I can't help but grin. I love it. Thanks, Flo. She scoops up Toby and plays with his floppy ears. I should go. It isn't really late, but the first day of school starts tomorrow, and it won't be easy to wake up in the morning after spending the last two months sleeping until noon, watching and re-watching movies on Netflix until I feel brave enough to attempt writing one of my many scripts again. Florence smiles at me as she scratches Toby behind his ears. I know that smile. Nothing good can come of that smile. "'What about you?' she asks with a too innocent voice. I look at her, question mark on my face. "'When are you going to find someone new?' My neck gets a little warm, and it's hard to speak. "'Uh, I don't know,' she groans. "'Oh, come on, bird!' I feel myself getting a little defensive. "'What?' Not everyone needs to be in a relationship. I'm confident enough in who I am to not be in a relationship." "'Yeah, but you're a junior and you're still a virgin,' she says with a wince. I pause. I'm happy being a virgin. Oh please, no one's happy being a virgin. I mean, some people are happy being a virgin. Right, but are you really one of them?" I hesitate. That's what I thought. She scratches Toby's ears. We can always get back together again, she says, not looking at me. I wouldn't mind defiling you. I laugh. You make it sound so dirty. She keeps her small smile. It makes me wonder. Wonder if she's making, maybe she's thinking things about me. Same things that I've been thinking about her. I can't help it. I automatically start to feel all tingly and warm. I have to remind myself, Florence broke up with me for a reason. I know she doesn't feel that way about me anymore because she told me in those exact words. I'm sorry, Nate. I just don't feel that way about you anymore. I'm lucky we could stay friends. I don't want to ruin that by obsessing over her. I just have to accept our unhappy ending. I loved movies with, un- with happy endings when I was a kid. I mean, who doesn't? The mushy, feel-good dialogue where everyone knows how to say the exactly the right thing at the exactly the right time. The warmth you get knowing that for this one moment, happiness has found a way to be immortalized. The sun sets. Everyone loves a happy ending with a good sunset. But I eventually figured it out. Happy endings aren't real. American Beauty, The Departed, Melancholia, Memento, they've got it right. Denoting Hill and You've Got Mail and 16 Candles movies of the world have people thinking that life is an endless series of well placed jokes and three acts where even the most fucked up humans in the world can find redemption in love. It's just not true. Don't get me wrong, I still love watching movies with a good happy ending. Their flicker of light in an otherwise depressing as fuck world, but is it realistic? Nope, not really. My arm is starting to ache. Five more weeks and the cast comes off. I get to my feet and start toward the start toward the door, but stop when I notice Florence hasn't gotten up to walk me downstairs. She's watching me carefully, squinting behind her cat eye glasses. You're over me, she says, right? Crap, I hesitate, blink too fast. Yeah, I'm over you, I say. A moment of uncomfortable silence. Seriously, I'm the king of awkward. I just try to embrace it. We'll find you someone else, she says confidently. By the end of the year, you'll be a virgin no more. Let's bring it in. Oh, come on, Flo, she gives me a scary look. She reminds me of Ethel a little too much sometimes. I hold out my good hand and she puts hers on top of mine. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. She kisses my cheek and leads me to the door. It stopped misting outside and I decide to walk my bike instead. But walking a bike with only one good arm is just as impossible as riding it. So it almost takes an hour to get home. The sun's basically down by then, making the sky the shadowed sort of blue green before night comes, fresh after rain and pine scent fills the air. I pass the house at the top of the hill, the one that always has my heart beating a little harder, and my palms getting gross sweaty as I'm bombarded by memories I'd much rather forget. Tonight, I see there's a moving van out front with some soggy boxes on the sidewalk. It can't just be a coincidence, right? Oliver James is definitely black. Back. I almost consider hiding behind a tree to see if he'll come outside or not, but I realize that officially make me a stalker. So I hurry down the hill to my house and leave the bike propped up against the garage wall before I unlock the front door and step inside. All the lights are off. The house has been a little depressing ever since Rebecca went to Chicago a few weeks back. So these days, I usually go straight to my bedroom and stay there. But before I can even get out of the foyer, my mom calls my name. I hold in a sigh, and cross over to the living room. She's curled up on the couch under a blanket. Another rerun of Friends is on TV. She smiles, sits up. Were you visiting Florence? Yep. How's she doing? I shrug. I don't know, good, I guess? I don't like talking about Flo with my mom. She's forever asking why we broke up saying that we were so cute together, like we were puppies behind a glass window in a pet store. But I'm guessing she wouldn't think it's very cute that Flo cheated on me, so I just try to avoid the topic altogether now. Her smile falters, and she nods. Well, you cut it a little close tonight, she says, picking up her cell phone and flashing the screen at me. 6.54 p.m. About that, I say, clearing my throat, throat) and standing a little straighter. I'm 16, and as of tomorrow, I'm officially a junior. She crosses her arms. Go on. I uh think it's time that my curfew comes to an end. Her smile fades completely. We've talked about this, Nate. Come on, I say, crossing the room and leaning on the back of the couch. No one else in my grade has a seven o'clock curfew. I mean, ten, maybe. No one else in your grade has me for a mother, she says with a pearly smile. Yep, that's very true. I would just feel better knowing that you're home, safely watching Netflix and whatever it is that teen boys do in their rooms. I smack a hand to my face. God, mom she ignores me besides as you said it's your junior year this is the time to be focusing on your homework your exams getting the best grades that you can you shouldn't be out gallivating at all hours of the night gallivating i say hanging out with Flo isn't gallivating we literally just sit around and talk and watch movies If you want to get into a good college, she continues, you'll need to work hard this year. Seattle University isn't exactly a cakewalk, you know. She always acts like I have no choice but to go to a college in the area. And the scary part is that I'm pretty sure she's being a 100% serious. I'm going to bed, I say. Good life choice, she says, tapping her cheek. I roll my eyes and kiss it as super quickly as I can before turning to leave and hold in a sigh as she adds, maybe I should apply to Seattle University too. I've always wanted a second degree. Good night, mom, I say over my shoulder. I can hear laughter in her voice. Good night, Nate. I run up the stairs and into my bedroom, lean against the door and shut my eyes. I know I should go downstairs and try to stop being such a shitty son and spend time with my mom, especially tonight. The first day of school is usually around the anniversary of when my dad died, and this year, it's tomorrow, September 5th. I was only nine when it happened, but sometimes I'll walk by the spot where the Ridgemont Movie Theater used to be. Or I'll see some stranger from the back and for a split second think it's him. And it'll feel like it just happened all over again. I remember mom trying not to cry as she sat me and Becca down in the living room. She started telling us that there had been an accident, but she couldn't finish. She broke down sobbing. Becca didn't even understand what happened yet. But she still got up and hugged our mom and said it was going to be okay which made my our mom cry even harder i didn't know what to do i just sat there and watched, feeling completely helpless i guess that's kind of what i've been doing even seven years later it's been hard for me growing up without my dad mostly because i wonder how i might be different now if i had him around would he have made me a better person somehow? Maybe I wouldn't have been so clingy with Florence. Maybe we'd still be together, and my dad would have to give me some embarrassing talk about being safe. It's not the not knowing that I've missed out on that hurts almost as much as the pain of losing him does. But it must be even worse for my mom. I can't imagine what it's like losing the love of your life. I can't go down there I can't pace her pain. I don't know what to say to comfort her. So I'm too afraid to say anything at all. Um, yeah, so the first chapter is usually the longest chapter in the book so much to be introduced, so much to go through. So if you, if you see that sometimes I'm reading, it feels like forever. Just know it's just the first chapter. Every chapter, um, afterwards besides that one is usually shorter. Like I kid you not. It's five pages for the second chapter. So Don't let that deter you from reading the book. Don't let it deter you from reading the book. Read it. Just from the first chapter alone, I just want to touch on some things, some areas that they brought up. So the first line that stood out to me was, I'm pretty good at hiding inner turmoil when I want to. And I found that Ironic in a way, um, because I remember when I was a teenager and, you know, you would always say, I'm fine or I'm good, and yet still you're battling like this invisible war that nobody else sees. So that's one thing that I took into heart. And a lot of black and brown kids um, go through that, really, where... It's like so much is being thrown at them. And it's like they're fighting it on their own. And I just want to remind anyone that's going through anything, especially during this time, that you're not alone, that you can talk to people, that you can sit down with someone and don't have to hold that in so much, you know? Um, Another point that they brought up was, um, regarding virginity and losing it, and you know you're a junior and you're still a virgin like that's like that's um something to be ashamed of, or there's a deadline that you should lose your virginity and it made me ask the question of why do we put so much emphasis on sex in this society? Is being a virgin really a social construct and if that's the case is rushing to let go of it a a construct also why don't we allow people to make their own decisions to know if they're ready how many people regret giving it to the person that they did did even you wish you had let go of it sooner or later Because whenever we talk about sex, sometimes I hear that people have a lot of regret of losing it when they did, that they wish they did it a different way with a different person, that they did it sooner or they did it later. And it's just, you know, but at the same time, I've heard so much satisfaction with people doing it that the way that they did which I'm happy for them, you know. I'm a virgin, and I'm 20, you know. And even I sometimes feel like I'm way behind the game, but at the same time, I want to have control over my life, and I don't want to be pressured or rushed into doing it or feeling like I have to because everybody else is doing it, you know. You will see throughout this book, like, virginity and sex is a constant theme that keeps being brought up from different angles, which I like, Um, because I feel like we don't talk about sex enough. We talk about the deed itself, but we don't talk about the emotions that ties into it, the expectations, and just everything else surrounding it. We tell kids to be safe if they're going to do it. But we don't tell them, like, our own experiences or what we should have done or or just be real with them. It's not about trying to convince kids of not doing it at all because they're going to do it at some point in their life. Like, you know what I'm saying? They're going to be curious. They're They're going to want to know. And you just telling them to be safe, I feel like it's more acceptable, yes. But also be real with them of, I don't know to make it better you know (laughs) make your first time easier um what to actually expect don't give them false expectations that sort of stuff so I definitely would be interested in doing a round table to talk about sex that's something that I do want to talk about and I'm gonna dwell in that later um moving on so Another thing that was brought up in the first chapter is the introduction of why Nate doesn't believe in happy endings. And I really thought about it and I was like, you know what, he's not wrong. <laughs> as sad as it to say, and as much as people think that it's very pessimistic, um, I feel like there's a balance that we get to define our own happily ever afters. We get to define what that looks like for us. It's that like a one shoe fits all type of thing, you know what I'm saying? So it is realistic to say that love isn't like the movies. We don't all find that one person and settle down for the rest of our lives, you know? It's okay to have multiple partners, which is introduced in this book, you know? So many teenagers believe that they're going to find that high school sweetheart and that's the one person, their soulmate, that they're going to settle down for the rest of their lives. And it happens for some, but it doesn't happen for all. And that is okay. You're going to have your heart broken time and time again. You know what I'm saying? You're going to find someone new too. And that's okay. I feel like it should be socially acceptable to... Even if you have to run through lovers to learn through each relationship and find the person that is actually for you. And sometimes you're going to have to run through lovers to find that person for you and that should be okay. So that's just from, um, the first chapter. Um, so I'm just going to dwell into some other things that I got up some questions that I have. My first question was, why does Nate or Bird feel so guilty for disappointing Flo when she cheated on him, ended their relationship, and continually has no regard for his feelings? She wanted him to move on to feel better about her guilt and still wanted him as her friend, which forced Which forced him to try to befriend her girlfriend, the girl she cheated on him with. So when he finds someone new, she's angry and jealous. You can't want it all. And I feel like it was great to introduce this type of character because she's a manipulative bitch. And sometimes we paint A lot of times we do paint guys as the villain in all these stories. But let's be real. Girls have that streak in them too. They're manipulative. They're toxic. And Flo was toxic. To the point that Nate prioritized her feelings above his own. His future above her future above his own, too, instead of vocalizing that' no, I'm not okay with this, and setting up boundaries and I mean, it worked out in the end, sure, but come on, I wish there was some part in the movie where I mean in the movie in the book where he vocalized and set up boundaries and was real with her to be like. Why are you so upset and confront her? I mean, he did, but it didn't go as deep as I would like it to go. You know, this book also really unpacks the problems kids can adopt from their parents when their parents don't handle their shit correctly and inhibit their children. So like not only Nate, um, Nate's mom, and you can tell a little bit um, from chapter one, Of where she is mentally. And like it said in the summary. She is unraveling. And for Nate to have to be exposed to that. Doesn't help his development at all. And you see that throughout the book. But also. Oliver's parents. Oliver's parents. (sighs) It was the first time in a book where I really saw from the child's point of view of having bad toxic divorced parents and sometimes divorced parents can healthily co-parent but this was not it and you can see how much trauma that Oliver goes through It also debunks the idea that all males are hypersexual. Especially black males. That all they think about is sex. And as a black male. (laughs) Because Flo also brought it up that she thinks Nate is the only guy that would ever turn down sex. That is a good conversation to be had of why... Do we over men? Why do we feel as though that all oh, men think about is it, sex? And you know what? Sometimes we do see the cases, but that is not, again, not one shoe fits all type of mentality. Just like Reza's sister of Like a Love Story, Nate's sister, Becca, forces Nate to face his problems head on. Reading him like a book while providing continuous love and support I always loved those pillar figures. And to be honest, it wasn't just Becca who accepted him. This book was great. And we see how it really diverse, differs from Like a Love Story. Where that society in Like a Love Story was not accepting. This society is. Friends, family, they don't buy bat an eyelash if you're dating a girl one day and a guy the next and that is how our society should be and I love how the book didn't even put them in labels as to say oh he's gay he's bi he's this they just love without constraint and that is what society should be I also love the representation of a brown, disabled youth, most times we don't include experiences of people with disabilities of what they face. And American Sign Language or ASL was presented as this symbol of Nat and Ollie's love. Like it was their own little secret language that only they can understand, which I love. But it was ironic that. Should I say this? Yeah. Or sh- I'm debating if I should say it or not. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that. I'm gonna skip that bullet and move on to the other one. Um. Side note. I love when the author ties the title into the plot, so you will see why it's called. Um. This is kind of an epic love story. Um, I have to say though, back to the sex, I have to say that this is the first book that depicted having sex for the first time as shit. It wasn't unicorns and rainbows tied into an earth shattering fantasy, it was actually awkward and painful, but real. It didn't feed into the hype or provide false expectations like stories and. And porn normally do. I also like how the authors was being real in showing how we humans, again, run through lovers and experience heartbreak. This notion of only experiencing one love relationship isn't always true for everyone. There is no fairy godmother. You can't just wish it true. Relationships take work, young or old. Also including how we handle rejection. Not everyone we love is going to love us back. And we have to be okay with that. We have to get to a place where we're okay with rejection. Um. But. I love, like, if you are a virgin and you're debating on giving away your virginity, I would definitely read this book. Um it was real. <laughs> Your first time is gonna be painful. It is gonna be awkward. Um, and then it gets better, I hear, because I don't know firsthand. Anywho, final thoughts and ratings. Okay, this was a cute story, a nice little rom-com, I will say. This was a quick, easy read. It took me literally a day to read. It was 20 through chapters, 251 pages. I like the cover especially because, as it said, you know, Flo was drawing on his cast. You can see the cast filled with drawings on the cover. Um, I love, I love that. I found that I like the cute little details. I can see this story for some reason transformed into an anime series. I love the representation of black and brown queer youth. And this is a podcast made for amplifying black and brown stories so of course I love that a love story without constraint and fetishizement Ooh, that is a big one I love it when we don't fetishize our partners especially we see healthy interracial dating and just making it the norm love that there was no yeah, when you introduce them, okay, you say that this person is dark-skinned or black. But it was not a continuous emphasis throughout the story, making it the norm. The only thing that got in the way of their love lives, of their love lives, were their selves, you know. So, it was no outside... Forces that I wanted to break them apart, which I liked. Um, it wasn't filled with anguish. It was just all up to them and making their own decisions. I was actually satisfied with the ending because it tied into the lesson of the story, you know, um, of not not believing in happy. Ever afters. So I love that. Love the diverse diversity. I couldn't stand Flo in the beginning, like I said, but ended up liking her and Nat's character development. The teenager angst was running rampant through the story, causing me to have major flashbacks and dreadful encounters with my own mother. <laughs> Even Nate's mom evolves. I will say I wish the setting was more expanded upon. This is high school for God's sake, so why weren't the characters interacting with people outside of their friend group, especially Gideon who is, you know, Mr. Popular? I could have used some conversational context. I also wished I got a peek into Ali's exchanges with his own parents. Why didn't we meet his dad or and his dad's girlfriend? In some areas, I wish I knew what Ollie or even Flo was thinking, so different point of views would have came in handy. I have some questions, though. Will there be a sequel? What transpires over their summer, during college, or even after college? Does Nate's mom eventually find someone? Does Ash and Gideon settle down? What happens to Gideon's mom These are questions that really need answers. So all in all, I will give this rating a 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. It is definitely a recommended read. Please read it and let me know what you think. Okay, so at the beginning of the show, I asked you a trivia question and the question was a two-parter. The first part was who was the first transgender woman to win an Emmy as an executive producer for Blank Blank Presents, the T word, a documentary. The hint was it aired on MTV, again for the first part. Who was the first transgender woman to win an Emmy as an executive producer for Blank Blank Presents? The T-word, a documentary, again the hint, it aired on MTV. And the second part was what year were they awarded? What year were they awarded? So the answer is, okay. In 2014, Laverne Cox is the first transgender woman to win an Emmy as an executive producer for Laverne Cox Presents The T Word, a documentary it aired on MTV. The answer again is in 2014, Laverne Cox is the first trans- transgender woman. To win an Emmy as an executive producer for Laverne Cox Presents The T-Word, a documentary. It aired on MTV. So, if you want to dwell more in that documentary, please give it a, a watch. Please watch it and let's have a conversation about it. Because, I keep saying in my post, but I will say it here... Black transgender women are dying at an extreme rate. At an extreme rate, okay? The life expectancy is 35. That is quite young for a person. So we need to protect... When we say Black Lives Matter, that includes Black transgender women. And I would like to say they don't even need to be passing for them to be protected. We say all black transgender women. Okay? Okay. Glad we're on the same page. Okay, so as we wrap up the show, I would just like to point out again to Riddy reiterate of that July open mic so I definitely want y'all to come out share your story use this platform to the best of your abilities to just give an insight of what we're all going through right now I think it's going to be cathartic therapeutic to not bottle up inside what we're going through and just let it all go so we can continue fighting. The Rage Room was a success. Um if you haven't given it a, a listen, please do. We I got I personally got some awesome takeaways from that. The author of Like a Love Story was also an open opening for me. So if you want to listen to that interview, please do. We really got deep in the book. So listen to that. It was released on Wednesday. What else? If you want to keep up to date with the show and everything that we're thinking about doing and want to implement, please go on our website at www.theconcretediaries.com. You will see, you know, news and events and all that good stuff over there. And you can even access the show episodes on the website, you know. So if you want to refer people, refer them to the website. And if you want to talk to me or anything, feel free. I have my contact information on the website as well. I just want to let y'all know that this season is coming close to an end so I want to make sure I have as much contact content for you all to tide over until we meet again in the second season um so look out for as much roundtables as much interviews listen to them as you can I just want to thank y'all for so much supporting the show Um, I love y'all thanks for chatting with me today I do enjoy our talks if you liked or didn't like what you heard I would like to hear from you so submit a rating and a review if you want to talk share a book or a PSA email me at theconcretediaries at gmail.com or thegram at theconcretediaries look I'm proud of you for making it this far, and I know you'll make the distance. Remember, we aren't given what we can't handle. So keep reading and keep blooming from the concrete. I'll see you in the next one.